That's right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Principles of Fitness podcast. My name is Cameron Harn, and I'm excited to welcome nutrition coach Casey Arnold to the show today. Casey and I have a wide-ranging conversation regarding everything and anything related to nutrition. So I try to cram in as much information, ask as many questions regarding nutrition because this is a pretty confusing topic and people get very frustrated and very die hard to one form of diet or one nutrition principle. And I wanted to pick Casey's brain today and ask her, what is the most effective? What are some of the things that we can kind of dispel so we can get a more clear answer and a better perspective on our bodies and what will work for us. And it was an incredible conversation. We go over topics such as vegan, vegetarianism, from ketogenic diets over to uh, the law of thermodynamics, which is calories in versus calories out, from things such as like your gut microbiome and how that plays a role in your cognitive function is pretty interesting. And Casey and I also talked about what sparked her interest in becoming a nutrition coach. Like what was that driving force that made her so passionate to positively influence the lives of so many people. It's an awesome conversation, and I really hope you enjoy this. So let me uh, go ahead and get this thing started. Here is nutrition coach Casey Arnold. Casey, thank you for meeting with me today. We had an eventful weekend. My brain's a little fried still from just the amount of knowledge that we consumed this weekend, but I'm happy to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Thanks for having me. First thing I want to ask you is, are abs truly made in the kitchen and not the gym? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's such a um, broad statement, right? But yes, abs, I guess you could say when it comes to abs being made in the kitchen, not in the gym, the aesthetic look of the abs are, but abs are just like every other muscle. So the more toned you want them to look once you have met your nutritional requirements, then yes. So if you want your abs to look super sexy and be really on point, then absolutely. Abs are made in the kitchen for sure. All right. We can close that myth. (laughs) Myth number one. I'm I'm glad that we finally have an answer to that question. Casey, tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? What did you study in school? Oh, wow. Okay. So, well, I was born and raised in Tully, Colorado. It's a small ski resort town. So it's like 2000 people. Bottom, southwest corner, Colorado. Born and raised there. So it's almost like it's almost like a fantasy land, right? So it's this beautiful mountain town. And I absolutely loved growing up there. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, it's most everyone's favorite place to vacation. But I wanted something bigger. And I knew that Telluride was always going to be there for me. But I knew that I wanted something bigger. So I got finished school um, in Telluride. And then I went to the University of Kansas for school. And the University of Kansas, I studied... Um, uh, what did I study? <laughs> Exercise science. I wanted to get a minor in nutrition, actually. But looking at the curriculum at that point, I just felt that it was honestly nothing, something I could actually just read in a textbook, right? Mm-hmm. And so I got finished with school at University of Kansas. And then I got hired on to work as a assistant strength conditioning coach for about six months. And then I got hired in Vegas. And so when I went moved to Vegas... That's when I became the director at a personal training institute where we had other trainers come in that had been studying for personal training. And they came in and it was my job along with their colleagues to give them the best experience and understanding what it would mean for them to then go out into the industry and give them a different, like pretty much like a beautiful, like panoramic lens of what it would look like to be a trainer and show them the different facets of the fitness industry. And through that entire experience of being that director um, of that boot camp facility and understanding that, wow, there's so much with fitness, but yet there was still nothing really with nutrition. 
And that was always a passion of mine. However, so uh, let's back up a minute. Uh, being a, um, a competitive soccer athlete as well, um, I always want to continue to compete. And so I wanted to try every facet of the fitness industry, right? Different like bullfrog races, Spartan races, bikini competitions. Bullfrog races? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta right. stop you right there. What are so bullfrog that's races? That's like the name of like an obstacle course race. Okay, so gotcha. Bullfrog is like the name of like, it's like a Spartan race. Okay, but a small gotcha. One. Um, and so then I my I got into fitness comp- competitions, and mm-hmm. so I was competing on the bikini level, and then moved up to the figure level. But it was during that time when I had a personal coach that was prepping me and getting me ready for these competitions. Nutrition was the vital role. That was when for you to look the absolute best that you could on stage. It was all about the nutrition. Everything came down to the nutrition. And I had never had a hired nutrition coach or you know, train coach in general. So I go through these competitions. I did five competitions back to back in a matter of a year and a half. So, wow. And once I got finished with the competitions, my body just blew up. And this was literally almost like the pinnacle of me finding out like this is this was my why. So I finished the competitions and I gained around 30 pounds within 10 days. And so, <laughs> so it was my body was just, which I didn't know at the time, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I knew that I was depleted. I knew that my body just was completely mal, just not nourished the proper, the way that it should be. So mm-hmm. the competition world is its own beast, as most everyone knows. It's a very, very strict diet regimen. You bring your body down, you have a massive caloric deficit, so you have to be able to come off that as well in a very, very gentle state or else your body will react. So my body just completely blew up like a balloon. I had fried my T3 hormone and I just, my body did not know how to metabolize energy, meaning carbohydrates and fat. Wow. So I looked at myself and that's when I almost, I literally went into like a depression and I did not, I didn't know who I was. I Here I was at the top of my fitness game as an educating professional with Viper and with TRX and doing all these things. And who I felt was a leader in the industry was myself, but then I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror because I was like, who am I when I gained all this weight and didn't know? And that's when my nutrition just went down a rabbit hole with education for myself because I wouldn't understand the why because I knew that I wasn't the only one in pain. I'd lost my relationship at the time. My significant other was no longer physically attracted to me um, because I gained all the weight. So that's actually positive, I guess, right? Because they don't yeah. love you from the, the inside out. <laughs> So I learned a lot about not just myself, but also individuals. And so going through this, then a period of time of going through education with Crestor Institute, Institute of Integrative Nutrition, Charles Poliquin, Biosignature Modulation, you name it. I went through these educations to truly learn and understand the human body from the inside out. I wanted to go back to school possibly, but I knew that getting a dietetics degree in nutrition was honestly not going to suit what my desire was in understanding the human body because the education here when it comes to that degree is not, it's very surface. And so I want to understand the why, why do our bodies work the way they do? What happens to our bodies down to the hormone and gut level? So that's when my nutrition education went and I shifted my entire focus to nutrition as a professional. I still do strength conditioning and training, but all of my work for the past five years has been in nutrition and continue to grow and grow in that. And that leads me to where I am today with owning my own company and working with people globally on nutrition and helping them to really own their nutrition. And those people that feel they're broken, they're not broken. They just need an oil change and just helping them understand that. So then what's the significant difference between 
nutrition coach like yourself and a nutritionist, a dietitian, someone like that? Ah, great question. That's asked a lot. So dietetics and nutritionists actually really don't like nutrition coaches. Um, they don't like us a lot. And the reason why is because of our the individuality approach as a nutrition coach. So diet, the biggest difference is nutrition coaches are, do not work in the medical setting. That's mm-hmm. where dietetics have their licenses and nutritionists. That's the biggest difference with the nutrition coach and then a dietetics and nutritionist. The second biggest difference is is honestly the individuality when it comes to coaching. So most nutritionists and dietetics, they meet with you, they give you a templated program. This fits your scale according to this model and away you go. But it's so much more than just here's the food that you need that we think you need, here's your calorie intake and go. It is so much deeper than that. Our bodies completely regulate on a daily basis off of biofeedback, which is how our body's feeling. What's our mood like? How are you feeling after you eat? What are your energy levels like? It's really understanding your body from the inside out. And that's where the coaching aspect comes into play. And that is the game changer in my 100% belief in the nutrition game when it comes to nutrition and athletes in general population truly learning and understanding nutrition. So there really isn't a one-size-fits-all nutrition program. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> so that's, and that was the biggest thing, right? And that's why we see so many people broken here in yeah. the United States and globally is they look for the next best challenge. What is the next best 21-day challenge I can do? Or what's the next best template to lose weight fast or to lose his body fat? And honestly, yeah, if your body, your body's the smartest biocomputer on the planet. So when you do something once to your body, it's going, you're going to receive a reaction. So once they put your body in a massive caloric deficit from a challenge or what weight loss challenge, you will lose that weight, but then your body is not going to allow it to go back to that state. So you go through this, you lose the weight, you mm-hmm. don't have guidance moving forward. You're going to gain all that weight back. Yeah. And that's where 80% of the population ends up broken and just what I like to call challenge searching after challenge searching, looking for the next best thing to fix their brokenness because they feel defeated. We learned this weekend that 97% of people who lose weight can't keep it off for three years or longer. What's like the, the underlying problem behind that? I mean, is it just the fact that, you know, they've lost weight and their bodies can't, you know, assimilate to the new, the new state that they're in? Or like, is it something mental? Like what's going on with that? Oh, it's what it comes down to is behavior and environment. Okay. So you teach somebody, it's almost like teaching someone um, like how to ride a bike, right? You teach a kid how to ride a bike. And they're going to learn how to ride that bike. But if they don't continue to learn how to ride that bike in different uh, areas, how are they ever going to master that and maintain that behavior of becoming an expert at riding a bike? Same thing with nutrition. Once you learn the proper way to for that individual to understand the nutrition for their body, if they don't maintain that behavior and that lifestyle change and environment, they won't maintain that. So it all that's when it comes down to the coaching and them really understanding what is the best solution and environment for this individual. How is their behaviors? And it's when it comes to behavior, that's not changed overnight. Some people, a behavior change can take anywhere from a month, two months, up to 18 months to truly change Whoa. that behavior dependent upon that person's background. Do they have a lot of mental damage? Have they been through a lot of trauma? Do they have a really rough background when it comes to whether it was their childhood, whether it was their workplace, it is completely dependent upon the individual. But that behavior change can definitely be successful as long as they have that consistency in their life towards that. So that 97% that can't maintain it, they do for about a year. And then they just forget. It's almost like they get on this hamster wheel and they don't implement these changes in their daily lives or acts of daily living. And they just go back to what they used to know. 
So that's where that, with the coaching aspect from a nutrition coaching is really understanding your individual's mindset, where it comes from, because they'll be successful at first. They'll follow the plan, but then that longevity is giving them the tools to have a successful mindset and behavior change. So how do you influence their behavior change and how do you address those possible roadblocks and help them overcome those things? So with the behavior change, definitely we look first at, we have a really long like intake process I have with a client, understanding their past. I get to know who are you, why are you here, and what is the real under, underlying reason why you want to lose weight? Okay. Or what is their goals? I want to perform better. So most people don't have a goal just because to have a goal. They don't just come to a nutrition coach or a trainer and say, I want to gain lean mass why do you want to gain that mass? And it's really diving deeper into the underlying mental aspect of to the why behind it. Why do you want to do this? And it's normally something, something that's happened to them that they feel that they need to heal or it's something that they feel that they need to overcome. So once I'm sitting down and you look at their history and you look at their behaviors and you see what's been going on in their life, usually it's something that's happened in their past. And so we look at their behaviors and say, okay, you're not, we'll just take weight loss, for example, you're continuing to gain weight because your job is so stressful and you're not getting enough sleep or whatnot. Okay. How do we change this? Then you look at the importance factor of, okay, how committed are you to these changes? And of course, at first they're all, everyone's always like, I'm super committed. Yes. I want to do this. 10 out of 10. I'm 10 out of 10. I'm actually like 20 out of 10. I'm going to do this. And then you start the implementation process and you really get to understand your client after about anywhere like seven to 21 days. You get to see their behavior through the implementation process. So that's mm-hmm. why it's a day at a time with them because old behaviors will start to pop up. They'll be super excited just like anybody is, especially at the beginning of the year, wanting to lose weight, feel great. You look at those behaviors because they're going to start to surface. And then once those behaviors surface, that's when you create strategies around those behaviors and you create awareness with the client about the behavior that's popped up, whether it's they begin to actually not get the sleep at night and, oh, actually, I'll be fine. I'll just stay up later like I used to giving them the why behind that and educating. So most coaches just say, I need you to do this program without the why behind it. And people want to know, people want to be educated. They want to know why it's not happening to them. Why aren't they feeling better? Why aren't they losing weight? Why aren't they gaining lean muscle mass? And they feel more confident when they understand the why behind it. And then when they understand that it is this behavior, so like, Hey, Cameron, you're not sleeping enough at night, buddy. And this deficit in your sleep is actually not allowing your body to recover. So you're not able to put on that lean mass. So once they understand cam, that's when the magic happens, when they truly understand what's going on in their body, because then they know that they're 100% responsible for that outcome. And when they know that, then the behavior and the magic starts to happen in the changing process. Because I mean, I have clients all the time who are like, I don't know what's going on. I'm eating chicken and broccoli every day and nothing's happening. And I'm like, I just can't be true. (laughs) <laughs> do you get that ever? I mean, oh, hundred percent. How would you like educate people on what's going on? So when so clients like they'll come or say, "I eat super healthy." Okay, so yeah. let me see your food. Okay, I'm eating chicken and broccoli, and then I'm having like a protein shake for breakfast, protein shake for dinner, but nothing's changing. Okay, so we go past the food. Okay. Tell me about your work life and your home so life. So it's more than food at that oh, point. Oh, it's so much more than food at that point. Okay. So the food is just that the, the food is literally the top of the cake, right? So mm. the food's icing in the cake, but what's the ingredients in the cake that's actually making that cake? Okay. And that has to do with the behavior, the mindset, and their environment that they're living in. Mm-hmm. So you could be the healthiest eater in the world. You could have the healthiest diet, but if you're not in a, a positive environment and if your mental and health state aka your stress levels, and that's not just external, that's internal stress, 
are not functioning optimally, it doesn't matter how healthy you're eating, your body is not going to absorb those nutrients if you're not functioning and living in an optimal state. Yes, do we as a society live optimally? About 90% of us don't. But we can alleviate a lot of stress factors that happen daily so that your body can start to see changes. And that's where the meat and potatoes is or the ingredients of the cake is in that stress and in that environment that is outside of the food. Can we talk a little bit about those stress factors? Because I think yeah. people don't understand. They go like, you know, you ask somebody who, you know, comes in like, I eat clean, da, da, da. Okay, well, how are your stress levels? And typically they're like, I'm not pretty, I'm not very, I'm not a very stressed out person. <laughs> But I'm like, well, there's different levels of stress. There's different ways that the body will interpret stress. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the stress levels, you ask your client like, oh gosh, I'm not stressed at all. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about your life. And you can tell me what's going on at home, right? And they say, well, I had to do this, this, and this. And all of a sudden, if they start to talk really fast, you see a heightened in their, or a rise in their blood pressure. Mm-hmm. That's a stress response right there. Okay, another stress response is if they're talking about, okay, how's your job? Oh, it's just... Listening to how they're speaking about their job, how stressed out, how much are you sleeping? What's your mood like when you get done? With your job? I'm just, oh gosh, I'm always so happy to get home from work because work is so stressful. Those are all stress factors. So asking them, like being an inquiry about their home life, their work life, their social life. Hey, how often are you getting out? I never get to go out with my friends because I'm always stuck at home. And when they're thinking these negative biofeedback factors in the mental standpoint, that adds stress to the body. Hmm. So it's then creating strategies. Okay, how can we make you happier at work? How can we make you have the ability to go out with your girlfriends and have wine night or with the guys and have football or whatever it is that you're choosing? It's creating those strategies to elevate happiness in their life and take away from the stress of whatever it is in their job. Can you talk about some of the, like the physiological effects of stress and how those things interfere with your body's ability to break down adipose tissue or to even just like take up the nutrition nutrients that you're putting in your body? Oh yeah. So when we talk about stress, like stress is the number one reason why most people are not losing weight. Second is them not knowing the amount of food, which we definitely can talk about. Mm-hmm. Is when it comes to stress, when our bodies are stressed, our bodies start to release our the cortisol, which is our stress hormone, right? When yeah. our body releases cortisol, then our insulin response rises. And when that happens, our body goes into what's almost like a fight or flight response. When our body goes into this fight and flight response, our body is not burning energy, meaning fat and carbohydrates efficiently. It essentially shuts down and goes into a retention mode saying, okay, I'm super stressed out. I don't know what's going on, but I know I need to maintain everything that's coming in my body because I don't know when I'm going to start to feel good again. So when we're stressed, our body doesn't burn energy efficiently at all. It actually starts to store it more. So when people say they're stress eaters or you have clients that are like binge eating and they're stressed and they're gaining weight, it's because their body's not learning how to burn it effectively or efficiently. They're actually storing it because of the rise in the cortisol Mm -hmm. and the insulin. The liver is overworked. So it's just a downward spiral effect on the internal organs and the hormone responses. So how do we alleviate that then? So they're stressed out. We don't want the cortisol to rise. We then bring in strategies, whether it is taking five deep breaths, which is actually huge for most people. It's just taking a moment and taking some deep breaths or journaling for five minutes or just writing out like your goals and wins for the day. So we implement these mental strategies to bring down those cortisol levels, enhance the neurotropin in your body and allow them to start using their energy efficiently. In regards to calories in versus calories out, 
What's the deal with that? Is that more fact or fiction? Because I read a book last year, uh, Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs, and it talks more oh, about great the... Book. Yeah, I, I loved it. Great it book. talks mostly about the nutrition is more related to the hormones in our bodies rather mm. than calories in versus calories out. I mean, there's a whole cascade of hormones that gets reacted whenever we consume food. So is it that simple or can you talk a little bit more about it? So we can definitely make, definitely simplify that, right? Okay. So calories in, calories out, that is an old age, something that should be burned and just like thrown in the fire and not really thought about. <laughs> calories do, like the, the quality of calorie does matter. So now you see all this talk about like macronutrients and yeah, which is actually your macros huge. And yeah, stuff. like if it, the IIFYL, like hashtag, <laughs> um, <laughs> But that I is, can see you're familiar with that. And, yeah, right. So that is that's a huge that is like a huge buzz right now. But it's actually one of the more positive shifts that I have seen since I've been studying nutrition okay. is people understanding macronutrients because that's the macronutri- macro macro micronutrients, protein, fats, and carbs being your macros, your macronutrients being your vitamins and minerals. It is those five markers that bring together your body's ability to absorb what's a calorie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we eat proteins, fats, and carbs, vegetables, and and, um, fruits, which is our micronutrients, all of those and the amount is completely bio-individual. So when Gary's talking, it's not about thinking about the total calories you need to eat. Like, I need 2,500 calories a day. Yes, you might need 2,500 calories, but where are you getting those calories from? Do you need, are you more sedentary? And if you are, then you need more energy from fats. You need more fat calories than you need carbohydrate calories. Why is that? So fat is your most sustainable energy source. It's the most slowly releasing energy when it comes to the energy that we intake, which is carbohydrate or fat. Fat being slow releasing, if you are not as active you have that ability to maintain a longer amount of energy through facts that's more slow releasing. Okay. If you're a more active person when you're working out a couple of days a week or like you're running around the office, you want to have more carbohydrates so that you can have more of a glucose and more a higher insulin response. So having those carbohydrates is actually much more beneficial for the more active person okay. because they need that immediate energy. So that's why the more active person is going to need more carbohydrate energy, whereas the person who's not will have more of a fat energy source. And then the protein comes in dependent upon their body weight and their goals. So that's why when people ask about nutrition and they want a templated program, there's no such thing because everybody's body is completely different and everybody's body needs a different amount of nutrient content to just live on a daily basis. Is there a negative effect to having too much protein? Yes, there is. So protein is actually broken down into energy, okay? Mm -hmm. But in that actually, the liver is what breaks down our protein. So if we are eating too much protein, then our body actually stores it as fat. So if you're eating more protein than your body can handle and you're not actually using it to repair lean muscle tissue after workouts or not using it as extra energy because you didn't get enough calories from fat or carbohydrate, it has nowhere to go. And so it binds to the fatty triglyceride molecules from the liver and stores as fat. Really? So you don't want to eat a ton of excess. If you have like a day or two, if you eat excess protein, just like if you have a day or two and you fall off and eat a bunch of carb or fat, Mm -hmm. not going to be a big problem. But if you're consistently eating... And that when we're talking about too much protein, we're talking about if you're prescribed a certain amount of protein and you're consistently eating 20% plus what your body needs on a daily basis and not expending energy, then your body's going to start to sort as fat. So it's so just if you're like, sedentary eating 20% of your calorie intake from protein and, or more, 
then we're going to have a negative effect. Correct. Okay. If we're not burning it. So we want to make sure that you, if you're going to go over on any macronutrient, so if there is one macronutrient, protein, fat, or carb that you want to go over on and that you're going to eat more of, it would be the fat because that is a sustainable energy source. If you're going to go over on one day in or day out, it would be a fat. Okay. But again, too much of a good thing is never a good thing. Yeah. So making sure you're not consistently doing so then can we talk about percentages? Is there like a general percentage of proteins, fats, and carbs sure. that we should kind of abide by? So we want to have, if we're going to have 30% protein, then you're going to have 40% carbohydrate and then 30% fat. And then that equals your 100% of your macronutrient intake. So that's just for your, your daily person who's wanting to just live every day from their total calories. You're going to get about 40% of it's going to be your protein, 30% is going to be from your protein, 40% is going to be from your carb, and 30% from your fat. Perfect. So that's like just daily living. And then what's going to change on those numbers is going to be the carb and the fat. So your protein is always going to be about 30%. And then depending upon what your goal is, whether it's to lose weight or be more sedentary, that's when the percentage changes from your carbohydrate and your fat intake. I dropped the mic right there. So, that was good. Yes, so, I love it. Great there you answer. go. Good. We got that covered. People's goals are to be more sedentary? Some people, they want it because they want to be video gamers. Really? Yeah. So we've had no, a lot. You've had I have people had like people that? that want to, that are video gamers and are working towards being professional video gamers. Yeah. And they want to make sure that they, they maintain a <laughs> lean physique. How can I maintain no that? No way. I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to be sitting... <laughs> Then we're going to eat more fat. That's awesome, though. So, what, a, what a great individualized <laughs> approach to help somebody whose goal is to be more sedentary and play video games. I never, I never I, would have thought that. And you know what? And most people would say, oh, you can't help that. There is an application for every single individual. So while macronutrient counting might be great for one, a keto approach could be great for another, or an intermittent fasting could be good for another. So it is completely dependent upon the individual and their goals. And when we talk about like the food intake that we were talking about with the protein, fats, and carbs, and some clients come and they're eating super clean, whether if it's not behavior, about 80% of people that come and want are under eating. Most people, especially women and now women about 35 and over, they don't eat enough. And same with men, most dads, they don't eat nearly enough. And they think they do, but until you create that awareness mm -hmm. and having them track their food or even implementing a food scale but you don't have to be a bodybuilder to have that. It creates awareness so they fully understand the amount of food they're eating. That is the most valuable part of the coaching process for me is to truly educate on the amount of food that an individual needs to eat. Most people are massively under eating protein. That's the number one under eat of most individuals is protein. So what's the problem with under eating? So if we don't eat enough, then our bodies don't burn energy. So we don't eat enough food and we are living every single day and even burn energy at night. If we're not eating enough food for our body to be able to expend energy, it's going to retain it. And that's why either people that are obese, they come in because they don't eat enough food or the food they are eating is a large amount, but it's mostly carbohydrate and fat, mm -hmm. not enough protein. So anyways, they can't burn fat. They can't burn any kind of energy and they're maintaining it. And that even, even skinny fat, when you see that, when it comes with individuals, they're like, I can't put on any mass and they're just stuck because their metabolism is super high, but they still can't burn or gain mass. It's because they're not eating enough food for that body to be able to maintain growth. So they're just stagnant or they go into a reverse effect and gain weight. 
So that's the biggest issue that I definitely come across when it comes to anywhere from an at- a kid athlete all the way up to an adult. It's under eating. How do you go about this process for somebody? How do you find out what diet will fit them best? Oh, that is such a great question. That happens through um, a seven-day intake process with me. So whenever someone wants to come up to me and they say, hey, I want to I want to work with you or I'd like to be one of your clients in nutrition coaching, I put them through an entire questionnaire first. It's all about their behavior, their lifestyle every single day. So it's a questionnaire about their behavior, lifestyle, and of course, health history, see what's going on, if they have any autoimmune diseases or anything. They do that. And then I ask them to track their food for me. So that, that intake process there takes about a day for them to get that back. Then I ask them to track their food for five days for me. And I don't want them, I want them to track it as if they haven't talked to me, just completely normal. They're going to track their food, every single thing they put in their mouth, whether they decide to have a bottle of wine every night or go to Dunkin' Donuts, have a bunch of donuts. The more honest and authentic that the prospective client can be on that, then the better I can serve them. So I then compare their food logs to their activity, their behavior, and their lifestyle and environment. And Mm -hmm. then when I get all that information, then I put together what is going to be the best nutritional approach for that individual to set them up for the best success in the quickest route. But don't you think when they're logging their food that they want to exclude some of those things? Oh, 100%. I totally get that. So I'll watch their food logs, right? So I can see as they're logging. And I'll call them out on it because yeah. I'm saying, hey, th- we're no bull crap here. So, yeah. okay, I'm like, listen, I know you've eaten more than that. So usually it takes that like that vulnerability, mm-hmm. which is difficult for a lot of people to truly just break down those barriers, be vulnerable. But it's when an individual is in enough pain that they desire that change, then they're ready to be vulnerable and share that. So it might take me calling them out a few times like, hey, Cameron, I know you eat more than two donuts. I saw your log the other day. I'm like, oh, okay. And so then they put it, I'm like, hey, I can't help you unless you want to help yourself. So allowing them to feel safe and knowing that, hey, I'm on your team. You're my hero and I'm your guide and I'm going to do everything I can, but I can't if you're not fully authentically honest with me and we have glass walls around this entire relationship. Mm-hmm. And when I give them that space to feel comfortable and feel vulnerable, that's when the magic really starts to happen. What are some other obstacles that you encounter and how long is this process that you go on with them? Honestly, it's completely individualized and that's okay. the thing. So... I can get some people, depending upon their goal and depending on their behavior, and literally, I can give any client cam every single tool in the toolbox, all the coaching in the world, but what it comes down to is I'm 10% and they're 90%. I I see them on the phone or on FaceTime once a week. They email me. It's on them to implement these behavior changes, environmental changes, these physical changes, and the nutritional changes. So depending upon how consistent the person decides to be is number one. And number two is how lofty their goal is. Are they trying to lose 25 pounds in a month? Probably not going to happen. Yeah. So it literally can be anywhere. I work with a client anywhere from literally just maybe three weeks or a month all the way up to I've had clients for two years plus just completely dependent upon their goals. And it's month to month with me as we go through their process. So the last thing they need to feel is, oh gosh, I'm signing for this like year long contract to work with this coach. That's not that's not feasible because that last thing I do is promise make a promise to a client that I honestly can't know because I won't know until I start to see their environmental, their biofeedback, their behaviors. And that's when I'll really get to understand really how long the goal is going to take. And there could be some roadblocks because we have life that's involved. Yeah. So Sundays go on vacation or whatnot. And that's okay. And that's the one thing people need to understand is you're not going to be perfect. No one's perfect. We want to pursue perfection, but progress is where it's at. Yeah. So it's literally just dependent upon the person. 
they don't enjoy their vacations too. You know, they go on their vacation. They're so worried about, oh man, when I get back, I got to tell them about what I ate and this. I'm like, you know what? Go and enjoy your vacation. I don't care. You know, you oh, work so yeah. hard. So go ahead and have just, just have fun. But when we come back, you know, we got to get back on the horse. Oh, totally. And I have those comments, set them up for that success so that they're never in a state where they can't. So I always, and I always ask them And number one thing also on their intake is what are their non-negotiables? Mm-hmm. So like, let's say you can, like you have to have two date nights a week with your wife. You have to go out with your wife two nights a week. And Casey, you're telling me I have to drink a glass of wine every time I go out. I have to have a glass of wine or better yet. I need to have two glasses of wine. Those are my non-negotiables and that's okay to have those. If those non-negotiables are what alleviates stress from your life yeah. and allow you to impact, then perfect. We create that nutrition plan around those non-negotiables so that you don't feel like everything's being taken away from your life. Cause the last thing I'm doing is coming in and just overhauling people's lifestyles. I'm coming in and I'm merely elevating. Okay. Now, and I'm glad you said that because it's hard for people to make such a radical shift in their diet and, and in their behavior to go from, I'm used to eating this way to boom, I'm eating super clean and you know everything's dialed in. How is that process for them? Does it, do you do it just step by step, slowly implementing new change or is it just like a complete boom, shift, overhaul, here's your new diet? So it, again, it's completely individualized. Okay. But again, with that being said, it, I never just come in and just completely overhaul someone's, even if they're like, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready. No, they're really not. Like they say that they're ready for maybe 48 hours and then they're crapping their pants because they're like, what did I just do? (laughs) Why did I just do this? So it's, it is literally setting up small goals for success. So like week one, okay, all I want you to focus on is getting as close as you can to your macronutrients or whatever the diet plan that I have you on nutritional plan. And then we focus on that the next week. Okay, I really want you to focus on getting in two two days of exercise for 30 minutes. So it's these small measurable goals because then when you feel success, then your internal stress levels are going much lower than you stress. So we want to alleviate stress. We want to increase confidence because they're coming to me. They're not confident. If they're confident, they wouldn't be hiring me. Mm -hmm. So it's increasing that confidence and that self-awareness. Let's go into a couple of the new things Kind of like the hot topics that are going on. Like, oh boy, we, we got the ketogenic diet right now, <laughs> and you know, I think the theme of this is just it's individuality, right? Totally. And but everybody just you know, keto's hot right now. Everybody's trying to go for keto. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that and yeah. why it may or may not work for somebody? So, a ketogenic diet for those like been listening that don't know. So it's it's a very high fat, low carb diet. Okay, and. When we're talking about like the ketogenic diet, most people are like, wow, I can do this because it's hot because you get results super fast. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're going to cut carbohydrate out of your diet, you're going to get results really, really fast. However, the application of sustainability with the ketogenic diet. So somebody who is, a, who is an aerobic athlete, meaning that they expend a ton of energy, whether it's somebody who is a triathlete or a marathon runner or a soccer athlete they need glucose and carbohydrate. They need that to sustain their ability to perform. Mm -hmm. And so that there's, and so that their system and their hormones don't shut down. That would be the worst thing for an aerobic athlete is to be on a ketogenic diet. An aerobic athlete. Aerobic. So that's long distance running. And even for anaerobic athletes as well, for like sprinters and whatnot, it's because of the amount of energy that these athletes, and even if you're a fitness enthusiast and you're a weekend warrior road biker and you're riding 50 miles a weekend, not going to be the best thing for you because your body needs those carbohydrate and that glucose 
so your body can actually upregulate its stress response. If you take that away, your body is not going to know what to do, where to pull its energy from, because your body doesn't use that immediate energy from fat. That's for a longer duration term of energy mm-hmm. use. So that's when you want to use non-keto. Keto is optimal for very more sedentary and not as active individuals. So if you're not using that immediate energy source of carbohydrates, so someone who maybe works out twice a week for like 30 minutes or whatnot, they could get by with the ketogenic diet. However, the best way to implement, even when I implement that with some of my clients, the best way to implement a keto is more of a rotation. So giving a, a couple keto days and then bringing up their carbohydrates. So more of like a rotation with it or like a feedback, if you will. Okay. Because the whole point of a ketogenic diet is to truly get your body into ketosis, which is extremely difficult to get your body to that ketogenic state where you're actually living on ketones. So that's the last energy source is ketones besides body fat and carbohydrate. But to get to that that state where you're on ketones it is a very, very difficult process because you have to be very, very strict with your ketogenic diet. Most people cannot stay there because they'll start to get fatigued, they'll have mental fog, and their bodies just honestly break down because they're not ready for that consistency of just high fat. So you see the ketogenic and you see all this rave about it because they're definitely losing weight fast, but you're seeing this, they're losing weight, but then nobody is setting them up on the back end. So then that's where I'm coming to play and I receive all these broken individuals that have lost all this weight on ketogenic, then all of a sudden, okay, I've lost this weight and they start eating carbohydrate again and they blow up like a balloon. Oh yeah. Because no one's telling them what to do. So they're just left out there to dry. And so that's that's the challenging part about it. Am I saying ketogenic is bad? Absolutely not. It is good when it is actually, when it is prescribed in the proper situation and monitored by a nutrition coach. Perfect. Now, the contrast to that is vegan and vegetarian diets. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with vegan and vegetarian diets. So the biggest issue, or I won't even call it issue, that the, the biggest thing they're missing out on, they definitely get complete protein. So that's the biggest miss in vegan and vegetarian is they're not getting enough complete protein. And when we're talking about a complete protein, that is an amino acid profile from the actual protein itself um, that actually is a profile of your actual muscle in your body because the muscle in our body is meat. Okay. We're essentially animals. So if you can't meet that amino acid profile, then you're actually not feeding your body the nutrients that it desires to have. Mm -hmm. So more studies have come out that there's some pea proteins that have a complete nutrient profile. Um, they can have like some lentil proteins that have that. But the biggest thing for me as a nutrition coach is sustainability. So these people that choose to be vegan or vegetarian, no one's allergic to like all meat products or to like chickens. And sometimes it could be religion based and I get it. But the biggest concern for me for those individuals is the longevity and the quality of their internal life organs and whatnot as they continue to live. It's not a bad thing. There are some very healthy vegans and vegetarians out there. However, what the stress does like on your body, especially if you're an extremely active one, is the breakdown in the amino acid profile and the muscle fibers. So there have been studies that have shown, like, yes, it works right now. However, the studies out there are not based off of longevity of what does the human body look like after you've been a vegan for 40 years, 30 years? What does that look like? Because mm-hmm. most of them, honestly, aren't living to that long. And there, they've had studies available that are 
actually PubMed journal study that show like what the quality of life as you continue to move on. Is it healthy? Yes. But the biggest miss in that vegan and vegetarian lifestyle is really getting the really great adequate protein into their system. So it sounds like they would just need to supplement with some type of vegan protein powder of sorts oh, yeah. so they can complete that. Yep protein profile. Yep. So they do, they supplement a lot with the protein. Mm -hmm. However, your body, the more like actual real food you, you, you can give your body, the better that it is, but we still can't get a ton. They can get those complete proteins. Another big miss is the food sensitivity from that. So if you're eating a lot of the same things over and over and over again, your body becomes almost puts built up wild when it's like, okay, I received enough energy from this. I've, I've received all enough nutrients. I'm not going to absorb it anymore. So that's another miss. That's another big miss in people that eat the same thing every day, which you don't have to be, a be vegetarian to do that. Or if you're a vegetarian and you're just, you're eating, you have very few proteins to choose from is creating that sensitivity to that protein and then your body not being able to absorb it and then having to pull that out and then reintroduce it at a later date. So that's the only, um, that's the only, I wouldn't even call it a bad thing, but that's the only like negative check mark for me as a, as a nutrition coach when it comes to the health and longevity of my clients. Okay. So just to backpedal a little bit, because I don't know if I missed this or not, it, they are getting sufficient amounts Correct. of protein. Okay. Yep. So that's just like this man. Yes. As a vegan or vegetarian, you are going to get a sufficient amount of protein. Yep. However, it's just because they're consuming so many vegetables that they are just going to feel like they're not going to be able to absorb everything they put in their bodies. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. Now, what are some of the things, what are some of the benefits from besides protein? I know there are other benefits to eating meat. You know, I, I think it's, it's good to have a balance of Good amounts of vegetables, mm -hmm. small amounts of meat. I mean, there's these documentaries that are out right now. You got what the hell? Oh, they're there's... kicking my butt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? That could be a whole nother podcast on like diving deep and what the hell, right? That, that totally could. And I, I'm not gonna get, <laughs> I'm not gonna open up but... that box right now. But <laughs> there's these documentaries that are popping up all over the place, and you know, it's hard for people to grasp what the truth is. And uh, and for me, I watched one, and I'm not gonna name what it is, but. It, it painted a good picture for me because it goes, eat good fruits and vegetables, have protein on occasion, and like drink water or something like that. And I'm like, simple. Yeah. Like, Done. Thank you. That's it. Yep. That's it. You Literally, know? that's it. Because the thing, it's also like in the meat proteins, you get your vitamins and your minerals. You get a ton of like iron and you get magnesium. You get vitamins A and E and K and all these really great minerals. Um, yes, you can get a few of them in your vegetables, but you get the majority of like the, the more stiff way to call them minerals in the meats that we eat. Mm -hmm. So, and also when you also see like what the health and they're trying to say that meat is what's causing heart disease when it's like sugar is the number one killer. Um, it's crazy because meat, there's nothing, there's no study related to fat and red meat or and chicken or whatnot that causes heart attacks. Because if you look at the arterial, arterial, arterial wall of the heart, those blockages are not built up from meat biopeptides or meat proteins. Okay. That is all built up from sugar, which our body doesn't process enough sugar. If we overeat sugar, that then is transferred into fat, which then creates blockages. And so that's the silent killer. That is the biggest killer of all time in our nutritional diets is sugar. So is there a maximum amount of sugar that people should consume a day? Oh gosh. Um, if it was for me, like just saying like, so anywhere from, again, it completely depending on like the person, like how big they are, how, like their height. You've got a, but, you know, somebody who works out maybe two to three times a day who, you know, that's a 
you know, generally active lifestyle, maybe goes on walks on occasion, but has a fairly between, sedentary job. Between 50 to 100 grams of sugar. Like 50 that would to be, 100, okay. Yeah, that would be like the most that I would put, like that I would say, yes, you can get, that you can like, that you should consume. Because you're going to burn that as energy. They're okay. going to be burning that. So now, can that come from fruits and vegetables? 100%. Fruits and vegetables? Or uh, yeah. like, are you allowing some wiggle room for them? There's to some wiggle room, okay. of course. Like, can I grab a Snickers bar? Some people need a Snickers bar. Yeah. Like, let's be human here. You need that donut or cookie, go grab it. But just being aware that, okay, if I'm going to like expend this, then I get this. So the best form of sugar you can have is going to come from a fruit or a vegetable. Whole foods. Yes, whole foods. There we go. We're not talking about the grocery store. Grab your apple. No. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people like to blame genetics. Mm. How much of a role does genetics have to play in this? You know, I've got people who go like all the time. I feel like we're just living in a world of hypochondriacs. Everybody's like, I think my thyroid's messed up. I'm like, do you understand how few people actually have a thyroid <laughs> disorder? Like, uh, you, you need to go get your brain checked or something like that. Right? And they like, People, the last person anyone wants to blame is themselves, right? For their behavior and yeah. their decisions. So they'll look that they're gaining weight or they're not feeling great. Oh, I, I think I might have an autoimmune disease or... You know, my mom and dad, like, they were like this, and so I'm just like this too. No, it is completely false. You can be any genetic disorder. Whether, like, you come from an obese family and you're an obese kid, guess what? You can lose that weight. Yes, you might have some different struggles throughout your life, whether you became type 2 diabetic just because of the food choices that your parents gave you, because that wasn't your choice. You just ate the food that your parents gave you. Yeah. But you're choosing. You can be any genetic disease that you get from your family because that's completely up to you. It is completely 100% up to you to change that because there's nobody that's saying that you're going to be stuck being fat. Even if you do have a thyroid disorder or you have Crohn's disease or you have any kind of autoimmune disease, they are all completely manageable dependent upon the desire of the individual to be their healthy best self. They, any one of those can be beaten. They can live their healthiest, longest life. It just depends on their desire. I, I like that you said that they were manageable. 100%. And, and not like you can completely eliminate them, but you can manage them. You can manage the symptoms a little bit better because I think people are looking for this to be, you know, whatever diet or pill or something, this is going to be the solution, but they don't look at it from like a management standpoint. It's a, a product of our environment. We're going to walk outside one day and it's going to be 86 degrees at eight in the morning. It's like, okay, but we can manage how we react to that. So... I appreciate you for saying, oh, you know, yeah, let's absolutely. manage those things a little bit better. And the other thing to that is that people seem to think that there's like an epidemic in autoimmune diseases, like we just said. So <laughs> is that happening? Is that more related to food? You said we can manage those things, but I just want to clarify, can, is it like, is it just something that we're not aware of that could be just related to our diet? Absolutely. So autoimmune, like we are having an actual rise in autoimmune diseases showing up in okay. people. So we're seeing a rise like autoimmune diseases have gone up closer. I can't remember the exact stat from Aberdeen University that I was reading out recently, but it's around 45% that has risen in the past three years mm -hmm. of our autoimmune diseases that are showing. And just like all of a sudden people are waking up with Crohn's disease or waking up and they're type two diabetic, or they have really bad rheumatoid arthritis. And the people that are receiving these are actually like having these autoimmune diseases. It is a hundred percent dietary environment related. Okay. So we either food will either make us or it'll break us. And that is completely dependent on your choices. So can we beat this autoimmune, like almost like epidemic that we're seeing? Absolutely. It's just being educated and understanding the foods that you're eating. 
But another big thing is like our society just is not educated. Like we need to discuss, they're just flooded with just crap information on nutrition and they just don't know. Most of the people that are receiving or having these autoimmune diseases, they feel they're doing the best they can with the information that's provided to them, yeah. but it's not the right information. What are some of the foods that they can eat that will help mitigate those or help manage those autoimmune responses, symptoms? Anything that's not processed. Literally, like it's truly that simple. Literally anything like that is not processed because Lord knows we love to have some process. Even if it's crackers and says it's gluten-free and you're going to Joe's like five ingredients, still like you're still heightening that ability, that ability to increase inflammation because even though, yes, you want to believe that they are like 100% organic and it's processed in like its own plant, we really don't know. So the best way to really manage these autoimmune diseases is to feed the body what it desires to have, which is whole natural foods. So increasing their vegetable intake, like making it as colorful as possible so they get the color, they get the vitamins of the rainbow, making sure that they're having whole cooked meals, whether they are vegetarian, vegan, or they are meat eaters, getting in that protein that's cooked and eating great oils like coconut and olive and sunflower oils, like just making sure that they're eating whole foods. The more whole foods that they eat, they won't have the people that eat their whole foods. They won't even notice that they have these autoimmune diseases because they're eating so healthy and their body's actually thriving in their environment and not dying in their environment. Why is it so hard for people just to eat whole foods? Because people want quick, cheap, and easy. We are in this, we are right now in this epidemic of I want it yesterday. Everybody wants everything yesterday. So if somebody has to go cook food or they can just go through in and out or they can get like, heck yes. So, I mean, there's apps for every kind of food. So to actually ask somebody to use their kitchen, I mean, most people, I have clients that use their kitchens as storage for clothes. Literally, I had a client who stored uh, their sweaters in her, in her stove because she's like, I don't use it. That <laughs> she store, use it, her, her kitchen was more clothes storage. Because she never cooked a single meal. Oh my god! Because she wanted her food yesterday. So, but are there healthier versions of eating? Absolutely. There's great meal prep services that you can order, whether it's Freshly or Blue Apron, or even on your app with like Uber Eats. There's some really great restaurants you can you can never cook a meal and eat extremely healthy and feel amazing. Will it be the most optimal? No, because the most optimal is you knowing exactly what's going in your body. But you do have the ability to eat extremely well by eating out all the time, but it's just making that conscious choice to eat the fruits and the vegetables and the good proteins and fats. Sometimes I, I find that it's difficult for me to like, it's like, okay, get off of work. Now it's like, okay, gosh, I got to make dinner now and I got to like chop vegetables, you know, oh, prepare yes. the meat and stuff. Screw that. Are, are there some hacks that you suggest to your clients or to the listeners that they can do to help you know, make this process of cooking a little easier for them? Oh yeah, absolutely. So almost every grocery store that we go to, they already have pre-cut vegetables for you. And they're sitting right and you walk into the coolers, to the right or left, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, you name it. They have every vegetable you can think of already pre-cut for you. Okay. So if you don't want to cut the vegetables, great. Go just get them pre-cut. That's fine. Make sure you buy them every couple of days so they stay fresh. So then that cuts out like 30 minutes of prep time there. Because oh, yeah. even me, I hate cutting vegetables. You think I'm going to waste time? That's not my zone of genius. I'm not going to cut vegetables. <laughs> so getting the pre-cut vegetables and then also like getting the meats that are already, they have meats at Whole Foods and whatnot that you can see that are already pre-seasoned. And a lot of them are just seasoned with like your salt and pepper or like a teriyaki, which mm -hmm. is fine. Looking at those ingredients as well. But you can already get pretty much your dinner prepped for you. You just have to throw it in the frying pan or throw it in the oven and bake it. 
So that's the easiest way. Or you spend time on like we on like Sunday, meal prep Sunday, you just you can chop your vegetables up for the week and you can just spend time with your family and your friends. Make it a fun game like with your kids. And they can all like help you chop up the vegetables. You put them in glass containers, not plastic, and put them in the fridge for the week. And then boom, you have it. Why not plastic? So there's so many studies coming out. And I was actually talking with what one of my hormone specialist colleagues the other day on the rise of the correlation of plastic and the chemicals in plastic that are relating to the actual enhancement of autoimmune diseases. Really? So, yes. And so it's best if you're going to have any kind of plastic in your house, it shouldn't be in your kitchen. The plastic, you can have glass containers that have like the rubber tops on them, okay. like a you know, coffee cup. Yeah. But um, getting rid of those plastic containers because I'm throwing the, them out right and now. And the more you use, and so that's related to even um, with women with pregnancy, not having any kind of plastics because they're showing like that is showing up in like ADHD or kids that are born with ADD or um, any kind, you know, Lou Gehrig, you name it. So disease. even plastic bags. Oh, even plastic bags. Having your food touched with plastic bags. Anything that's like these chemicals and like us touching it with our skin. I know this sounds like erroneous and people are like, this is so crazy. Yeah. But the studies are there and they are becoming more and more and more prevalent. Wow. We as a society just like turn a blind eye because like I said, we are a society of yesterday. Yeah. So to actually think of like using glass is like, ugh. But what's more important and like your health. I had no idea. Yeah. That's so crazy. I mean, oh. I put everything in plastic bags and just throw them in the fridge. Oh, yeah. No, get as soon as like you buy your vegetables at the store and like they're in the plastic bags, immediately take them out. Like wash them when you get home and then put them in the fridge. You can get like, you can get an all organic um, vegetable washer and then you wash your apples and your vegetables or whatnot and you get home, put them in the fridge. Keep them out of the bags. Like no plastic bags should ever be in the fridge. Wow. But you're, then you're just feeding that bacteria and you're feeding those different chemicals that are in the plastic bags. What happens when you microwave? That's even worse. You should never microwave plastic. That's just you saying, hey, plastic, kill me now. <laughs> even if it's like BPA-free or... Oh, there's still chemicals. There's... Even in the BPA-freeze, there's still chemicals. Okay, will it get... There's less chemicals, but there's still chemicals in the BPAs. Okay. And it will it get into your food? 100%. 100%. 100%. Even you putting your food in the plastic, you're already putting it into your food. Wow. That's and that just sounds, I know like as a side, we're like, oh, that's so crazy. I would never do that. But think about like fast, fast forward your life, 20 years, and you are all of a sudden have an autoimmune disease or you have, you're starting to get dementia and whatnot. And you realize, wow, like, and they can do studies and see like, where is this coming from? And like, look by looking at dietary history and they can do tons of scans and see basically where it was stemming from. Wow. So to think, okay, like, you have control over your life right now, but if you're going to choose to be lazy and choose to use the plastic, just think about what the detriment's going to be. Because we're living in a now society, no one's thinking about their health in the future, which is why we're seeing such a massive decline in the health of everybody between the ages of 62 and up. Massive health declines, autoimmune diseases, you name it. So how can, you know, I've got a six-year-old. How can I help him with his lunch at school? Because that's plastic bags and Tupperware. It's a little dangerous to, you know, send him to school with glass. So the best thing you can do for your kid, if you're going to give them the absolute best you can for them, is keep everything in glass, like at, at home, right? And then okay. the morning of, you can throw it in and get a plastic bag and give it to them. So okay. you can bring it in, throw it in the plastic bag or throw it in the plastic container. Don't heat it. Okay. And then bring it right home. So if it's in there, the effects start to happen, like um, being absorbed into the food. They said that, was, I think it's like a... It's like a 24 to 48 hour window is when it starts. I have to like look at that study, but it's, it's pretty much clear, like sitting in there for about 24 hours, not heated. So 
If you have to absolutely use the plastic, just do it. So put you're, in the you're pretty safe within 24 to 48 pretty hours. Pretty safe, yes. Pretty safe. But mm -hmm. there's still some exposure that's going to happen. Yep, still a little exposure. And then what I think people don't understand is the exposure over time, too. So they're just like, oh, yeah. you know, they think, oh, well, it's only been there for a little bit or I'm only touching it a little bit. But how many times do you come into contact with these exactly. types of products? throughout your day, throughout the weeks, years. I mean, that compounds over time. I don't think people oh, understand yeah. that. No, if they actually took a look at their life and like, like standing, like looking in a window at their life and thought, how often all day long am I touching plastic? Or As how I'm drinking often... from a plastic bottle, I, yeah, right? Where's the glass? <laughs> you gotta get rid of that. So you're drinking the plastic bottle, right? And we're drinking these plastic bottles and it's the compound effect like you talked about. And then all of a sudden, boom, those dominoes are going to fall. And so when they do, like, how healthy do you want to be as you continue to get older? And everything right now is about management for older and being proactive instead of reactive. But right now we live in a very reactive society because gosh forbid you actually take time for yourself. So yeah, exactly. Oh, it's crazy. Um, I want to go and I want to pick your brain a little bit more about this whole thing with the microbiome, our oh, gut yeah. health. <laughs> Can you just elaborate so, on that a little bit? Our gut health, which is something that's actually, I mean, it's been around forever, right? But it's yeah. actually just really surfacing here in the United States for, well, like I'd say, I'd give it like the last And like, you spoke about this a little bit over yeah. the weekend. So I spoke about it in regards to our cognitive brain health and what the, our brain health has to do, how it's interconnected to our gut. So from when we're babies, like our brain is formed last, right? As we're a fetuses, right? Mm -hmm. So the very, we start absorbing as fetuses in our mother's wombs, you start absorbing the nutrients at three weeks old. So you're absorbing mommy's gut microbiome nutrients. So if mommy's gut is not healthy, that's what you are giving to your child. And that's why we see kids, if moms aren't eating very healthy or if they're absorbed to a bunch of their um, exposed to a bunch of toxins or whatnot, not eating healthy, that gut microbiome is what's helping to develop that child. And so when we see kids that are born and they have they're born with, you name the health issue, a lot of it is, it's all related and stem from a lot of the nutrition and the environment that they are in for those nine months with their mom. And unfortunately, a lot of this is the last thing moms want to hear. I know that's tough to swallow, but it is that responsibility. It's, you're 100% responsible for the health of your baby to a point, but 90% yeah. of it with the nutrition and the environment that you're choosing to live in while you grow that baby. So that's step one, gut microbiome we're receiving from our mom. Then as we age, we don't start absorbing food or we don't develop gut microbiome till about a year old. Okay. So that's when we start to develop gut microbia. So that gut microbiome then, the healthiest that we can make it is by eating foods, like fermented foods and eating any kind of food that's raw. So that helps to really create gut healthy gut flora. The healthy gut flora is then what also is stemmed to our brain and our ability to think clear, be able to process long-term and short-term memory, um, and not have what we call brain fog. If we're not maintaining a healthy gut, that puts our gut and our ability to actually absorb and process nutrients at a high risk, meaning then that does affect our brain. Our brain needs energy just like the rest of our body. Our mm -hmm. brain is like a muscle. And if we're not giving it proper nutrient, then we're actually seeing a decline in our mental and cognitive functioning. So our cognitive brain health is directly related to what we put into our guts and maintaining healthy gut microbiome. And you do that by just eating literally daily a serving of fermented food, whether it's sauerkraut, kefir, um, uh, like pickles, you name it. Pickles. Yeah, pickles. And so. apple cider vinegar. Too. And apple cider vinegar is great. Even I can't just, stand it, uh, but can't <laughs> you can have it. Stand. But 
Eating that stuff. Probiotics, anything to keep that gut healthy because it's directly, anything that happens like in our brain is directly related, all stems in the gut. All of our health issues, all of our autoimmune diseases, all of our just our general health, whether we have head colds or whatnot, it all stems from the health of our gut. What's the number one thing you'd recommend for somebody to improve their gut health today? Um, go to the store and like buy a kefir. So it's like a liquid yogurt, but it's all, but okay. it's not processed. So today go get some sauerkraut, eat that like with your salad or on your eggs or go get some kefir. I, we love vanilla. You can get like, put it in your smoothies or just put it over your granola in the morning. It's great. I've never even had it before. Oh, let's show you it. Yeah. So you can get some kefir. It's delicious. Yeah. Definitely. It's like liquid yogurt, but it's just very, very high in probiotic. Yeah, and then that will help with their their cognitive function. Because we're seeing such a rise in in Alzheimer's, dementia. I mean, these things are are pretty scary, and it's just like people aren't thinking; they're not planning for their future. Mm -mm. No, we're all living in the moment right now. Yeah. And that along with, what about uh, water intake? Will that help also? Oh, hydration is huge. Hydration is huge for brain function and gut health function. So the more hydrated we are, the more clearly we're going to think, the better we're going to uptake and regulate information that we receive and also process our short-term and long-term memory. If we are not hydrated, then our ability to retain information decreases at a very rapid rate the mm-hmm. longer you stay dehydrated. Your brain needs hydration. And so... Hydration is the biggest question mark with most people because they think, gosh, I just have to drink water all day long. You don't. You can get your hydration from any drink that's non-caffeinated, so no okay. stimulants. So have go get some tea. Have like great tea or you can have a ton of vegetables and fruit. Most vegetables and fruit, like about over half of them have about 80% water in them. So if you're eating vegetables and fruit three and four times a day, drinking water and then like some tea or non stimulant beverages and non-alcoholic, then you are getting your sufficient amount of hydration in. Now, there's also something with that. Can you dilute the electrolytes in your body from having too much water? Absolutely. So if you drink, if you overhydrate, then there's an issue as well there. So if you overhydrate, then your body just starts to flush every nutrient out of the system. So it's super important that you're not I mean, it takes a lot to overhydrate, yeah. but most people need um, a two liters, sorry, need like a gallon of water a day is like a simple, like most living adult, like three and a half liters of water is perfect every single day. Three and a half liters. Done. Done. Yeah. From, and that's, people think that's a lot of water, but you're typically awake for about 16, 18 hours a day mm-hmm. to drink that much water and is literally, it's like nothing. It's like Literally, you could get that finished in half a day almost. Yeah. But then you add in the stimulant, the coffee and whatnot. Now, what would you say would be a good thing for them to do in the morning? Like, do you want to hydrate or hydrate some, first some people thing. go right for the coffee? I know that's the worst thing you can do to your body is just go right to the coffee pot and grab a cup of joe. Yeah. You've been sleeping your body, even though like we're mentally sleeping, our body is still alive. Mm-hmm. So when you go to bed at night, your body's still awake, essentially. So you're going anywhere from if you sleep six hours, 10 hours, whatever, you're going that long without hydration. So the first thing you need to do when you get up in the morning is go straight to the sink or the fridge and get 16 ounces of water. In Eight a glass to water. water bottle. Glass water bottle, people. No. Nope. Or a glass cup. Glass cup. <laughs> Avoid the plastic. Nope. <laughs> no plastic. Get that in your system immediately. So then you will immediately start to feel more fresh, have more mental clarity. You're going to get your entire digestive system running. So eight to 16 ounces of water right when you get up in the morning. Once you have that, then you can go to the coffee pot. 
Awesome. Will that help with your sleep as well? Oh, 100%. Hydration will help so much. It'll help with your mental clarity when you wake up, get rid of that mental, what we like call like sleeper's fog from like sleeping all like heavy all night. Mm -hmm. Getting that immediate hydration, you're going to feel an immediate just change in your elevated mood right when you wake up. And it can be warm water or cold water. Some people ask, like, is it better to drink warm water or cold water? It really doesn't matter first thing in the morning. Doesn't matter? Whatever tastes better. What about throughout the day, too? I mean, they're like, you can't absorb cold water as quickly as, warm water, you definitely... Warm water moves through our systems more quickly because you don't have, like, the shock of the cold. But, like, room temperature, right? Yeah, room temperature. Room temperature is fine. Room temperature water is great. Doesn't need to be, like, you know... Tea water. Microwave. (laughs) Speaking of microwaves... Those those are even worse. Oh my gosh. And I'm a culprit. I have a microwave, but I try to use it as little as possible because of the the waves in the microwave. I mean, standing in front of the microwave, you you hear all these things like, oh, you're going to get cancer. You're going to be susceptible to cancer because of the the heat waves in the microwave. You're not. Okay. But number one, it, the, 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 the way the microwave heats the food, yes, that does, that does have a lot of relation um, to some abilities to enhance your chances of getting certain cancers or autoimmune diseases. Wow. So because it's a lot of metal heat, right? And yeah. that's not – and those particles like in the food has not, no good effects for your body. So if you want to heat food up, you have the time. The best thing to do is just put it in the oven, turn the oven on and heat it up or heat it up on the stove. Okay. That'd be the best thing. Even your popcorn, they have really great popcorn you can make on the stove these days. Yeah. I mean, the only time I ever use the microwave, I can't even, I don't even know now that I'm talking with you. I don't know when I use the microwave. Even to warm up your coffee is a bad idea. I mean, in relation, we're all human, right? Yeah. It'd be, would it be best to not? Sure. But the most, if you could use the microwave as little as possible, that'd be perfect. Okay. In a perfect world. Man, we crammed so much information in this episode. This is awesome. I think you've answered every question I've ever had on nutrition. Oh my lord, I'm so happy. <laughs> Just for like a couple a couple things before we wrap up here. For somebody who's looking to maintain a healthy lifestyle healthy, active lifestyle, what are some just very basic principles that you would suggest for them to do as far as the nutrition goes every day? Um, fruits and vegetables every single day. So every day when they wake up in the morning to when they go to bed, like planning the day before is setting your day up the night before will say it for success. So anyone who wants to set your day up the day before plan out, at least make a skeleton outline, what you want to eat, getting at least four servings in of fruit and vegetables getting in your protein like at, at three different times of the day. There's no wrong time to eat your food. If it's a healthy food, you can eat at 2 a.m. You can eat at midnight. It doesn't matter what time of the day you eat your food. Your body does not know, has no idea. Mm-hmm. So you can literally eat at any time of the day. As long as you get fruits and vegetables in daily, good solid sources of protein and stay hydrated. Well, keep it simple. Keep it simple. What are some, what I guess is like the legacy that you want to leave? What are you trying to achieve for the people in the area or anybody that you come into contact you with? Know, my, uh, the legacy that I want to leave is that anything is possible if you just believe. So my goal is to truly help as many people as they possibly can learn to own their nutrition sustainably so they can live their best life for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. That is my goal. My goal is to impact at least one person every single day. If I know I've impacted at least one person a day, of course I want to impact so many more, but if I know I'm getting to at least one person a day, then I'm doing a good job. Casey, where can people find you? Where can we hear a little oh bit more gosh. about your Oh my gosh, so they can knowledge. find me on my vlog. Like, so I have my website, which is CaseyArnoldNutrition.com. And then they can find me on Facebook and on my social media. I'm posting videos daily. I go live all the time. Um, I do vlogs. 
Um, I also do nutrition workshops. So people, and they can reach out and if they want a workshop at their work or their office, they do those. Whatever they're looking for, I pretty much do to be able to help. So they just can find me on my website, on Facebook, Casey Nutrition, and they can find me anywhere. I'm everywhere. Instagram too. Instagram too. Yep. See Arnold Fitness on Instagram. So they can find me. Perfect. Any closing thoughts? Um, no, not really. Other than just anything is possible. And like when people, the last thing that I ever want someone to think is that they can't do it because they can't, but it just starts with one step. Thank you so much. Thank Casey. you, Cameron. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of the principles of fitness. Everyone. I want to give Casey a special thanks for being with us on the show today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like share, leave a comment on iTunes. And here's a sneak peek of next week's episode with Karen Smith, chief strong first body weight instructor. Karen, just to touch on mindset a little bit, what are some of the tools or resources that you've used to help to help get into people's mindset and to help get them to their potential? Um, I would say after, um, and I don't even remember honestly who recommended it. It was so far back, but like when I was kind of hitting a, a roadblock with the Iron Maiden training um, for that challenge, someone had said, "Have you ever thought about working mindset and and really visualizing the process?" Um, and I, that's where I've kind of really dove into that more and just tried different things and started coaching more and more people on it. So um, I just recently wrote an article for Strong First that'll be coming out that's on visualization. And there's so many aspects to it, but one of them is getting into a space. And I guess some people would consider it more of like a meditation. It, I'm not really getting into meditation, but getting into a quiet space where you can clear your mind of whatever else is, is out there, like on that to-do list and going on. So first, it normally would start with breathing, closing your eyes and, and breathing and focusing just on the breath. Focus, and then from there, when your mind isn't like trying to run off in all these directions, then focus on whatever that next step is, whether it's an exercise, whether it's a challenge, whether it's just getting into a positive space, is seeing something and seeing the steps for it. So for like the Iron Maiden, it was, okay, now I'm doing a visualization for a specific skill and an event. And so I needed to see that the part that I was struggling on was the pull-up. And so I started seeing myself successfully get over the bar with that weight so that I could see it, see it, see it until it actually came to fruition. But as long as we're telling ourselves we can't do something or we can't physically see it in our brain, I feel like it's at roadblock. So we have to get to a positive space with that and see it successful so that we can actually make it happen. To hear more from some of the best that the industry has to offer, please hit the subscribe button and stay tuned for the next episode of The Principles of Fitness.